This is the Cash Value Solutions Podcast, where your hosts, Jason Polmeyer and Kyle Mann, shed light on little-known money truths to help you take control of your financial future and become your own banker. Subscribe, rate, and review the show, and check us out at CashValueSolutions.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Cash Value Solutions Podcast this week. Can you lay out the topic for us, Kyle? Um, Yeah, we're going to talk about a post we saw on social media, there was they're discussing infinite banking concept, and somebody commented on there with a question that we think is probably pretty prevalent amongst people who hear about IBC but don't really understand it. So, so we're gonna share. I mean, if one person has this question, it's likely that more people do. So we're gonna share it here on the podcast. Sure, sure. So, um, this guy says that I've been looking into this whole life insurance infinite banking concept for quite a while now. I just can't seem to understand where is the wealth coming from. You overpay in the first few years, then the insurance company pays you dividends that are non-taxable, but you already overpaid for it. Um, What are some good sources which can explain this to me correctly? It all seems like a nothing burger with a list of complex contract stuff, which can go wrong in 10 ways. (laughs) Okay. Um, I would definitely say that... uh, you can get a life insurance policy that is not designed in your best interest. And Definitely. I would consider that, you know, not getting started on the best foot. So you could call that going wrong. Sure. So definitely, I I agree with him. These things can happen, but it's a good thing he's doing his due diligence and looking at this stuff first. And it's also easy to understand how it just sounds like a bunch of complex contract stuff. Well, Kyle, how many times have you and I had the mics off and we say infinite banking? Does it seem a little bit like a scam? Yeah. Okay. I mean, we'll just be honest about it. Yeah. It it seems weird to say it. And yeah, I mean, but I mean, the reason Nelson called it this, I mean, it makes total sense. I mean, you are banking with these contracts and the possibilities of what you can achieve with it or how you can arrange it are infinite. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I totally get it for an outsider though. I understand, understand how it sounds like it could be a scam. The other thing is, um, you know, people don't, well, let me, let me rephrase it. People think of banking as going to a bank and making deposits Mm -hmm. and withdrawals. Okay. But banking isn't the traditional bank. Banking is just the acts of doing those things, depositing, withdrawing, borrowing, and repaying funds. Yeah, we, we're looking at it as a function. Yeah, not mm-hmm. a noun, but the verb sense of... Yeah, it, it's, it's a function of what's going on, what you're doing. Yeah. Okay? So, yeah, I, I just wanted to start with that. I realize how, how this is framed can look odd in the beginning. Definitely see that. And there's all sorts of, you know, people who get things wrong or who try to deceive... And all sorts of business and stuff like that. And I mean, you can look at the insurance world and you can definitely see that people try to make it things that's not and sound about, sound better than what it is. I mean, yeah, trying to run illustrations, you know, to beat somebody else's projections. I mean, yeah, I, those are illustrations of potential projections. We have no idea that those things are actually going to play out. Exactly. There yeah. may be a guaranteed side of the ledger like there is with whole life. So you know that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as far as 
as far as supplemental ledgers and current dividend scales. I mean, those things are all up in the air to change. Exactly. They definitely are. So, um, anyways, with that said, Kyle, it sounds to me like the biggest thing that he is having trouble understanding is how insurance contracts have expenses in the beginning and how dividends um, work. Work. Yeah. Is that... Is that what you think we should talk about? I mean, he he says he can't understand where the wealth is coming from. Yeah, it it sounds to me like he's just thinking, man, I'm overpaying all the time for this thing. And to me, it sounds like he thinks like, well, yeah, I'm overpaying, so they're just giving me a dividend back. Back, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm never gaining anything because I've already overpaid. Yep. And to to that, I would say, um. Let's let's look at it this way, okay? If a dividend is only something that is a return of something that was overpaid, then why is it that you can withdraw more dividends from a policy than you've paid in premium? You can't do that immediately, but over time in the contract, you will absolutely be able to yes. do that. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, not seeing that long or thinking long range and seeing that long range, you know, is probably the whole issue there. Yeah. And and dividends, it isn't just a return of, of overpaid premium. Okay. That's how it's classified as a return of premium, but you have to realize that there is the insurance company is earning money on that. They're in, they're investing that money and earning money on your premiums. Okay. So some of that is factored in with the dividend. That's why dividends can get so large on yeah. these contracts. Mutual companies share their profits with the policyholders. Yeah, and their their profits don't just come from premiums that they take in. It comes from things that what they, they do in, with that. Exactly, what they invest in. Um, they can have underwriting, um, underwriting profits. You know, when when they do better than expected with their underwriting, and then based on their businesses how efficiently they can run the business. And so see, look at what they do. They take premium money and then they go invest that elsewhere where they can earn, you know, a rate of return. Just like what we can do as policyholders, you know, we can put put money in insurance policies, have that grow and have access to it to earn returns on as well. Exactly. And, And the longer that you and I do this, Kyle, I mean, I know we both see this more and more. It's like, it is not about, the rate of return of the policy. I mean, yes, you should be informed and look at that when you are taking out a policy. I 100% agree with that. But once you start to see past that and see that it is more about the things that you can do with having access to capital, I mean, it it really starts to open your eyes. We we both have um, this year tried to take advantage of opportunities and lost out on opportunities. And some of those lost opportunities were due to lack of capital and, and, you know, high levels of risk because of that, you know? So what, what would more capital have done? Probably would have been able to capitalize on those opportunities better. Yeah. I mean, just before this podcast, um, turning the mics on, we were talking about the opportunities, you know, that we didn't take advantage of this year. Yeah. I mean, like I told you, like diesel was extremely uh, cheap last year. When I was doing some dirt work in the fields, dollar sixty six a gallon. I didn't lock it in till two twenty four. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> yeah, way overpaid on that. It was easy to see the fertilizer prices were going to be sky high going into this fall. Never did anything to hedge against that. 
should have though. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I mean, those are simple things that we could have used the capital for. And I mean, had anywhere between 25 and 100% rates of return probably just because there was an opportunity to lock things in at a lower price or hedge against things that it was easy to see. We're going to increase. um, The fertilizer thing, last fall, it was just unbelievably cheap, and the grain price was going the exact opposite way. I mean, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, so, you know, somewhat take it with a grain of salt, but I mean, if there was ever a blatant opportunity, I mean, it was staring us in the face. Yes. Historic lows and <laughs> fertilizer prices, I guess, for the for the last 10, 15 years, pretty easy to guess what's going to happen. And, and corn at low ending stocks, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, just like last year, I mean, the USDA fudges their numbers and things like that, obviously. But when, you know, corn was down in, what, the, Is it 280s? the 280s, something like that, I mean, at some point, you know that the ship is going to turn on that type of deal. Definitely. So, and I mean, these are things like you just start looking at this that, um, I mean, I, I'm just like every listener that we have, um, in the beginning. I mean, I was solely focused on that policy and what in the heck, you know, was the rate of return going to be on it? How am I going to get ahead? But the more and more I'm like, man, I just need to pay more premiums and have more access to capital. Mm-hmm. The policy is going to do what it's going to do, and there's going to be massive opportunity because I have access to that money. Absolutely, yeah. So when he talks about it seems like you're overpaying you know, in the early years and then getting that money back, you know, it's all about the insurance expense on that deal. But yeah, I mean, you have to pay something for insurance. You're not buying something for nothing, which is what – we have to talk about, you know, a lot, but you are purchasing life insurance. So there's a, there's a cost to that. There absolutely is. And, and we don't ever try to hide from the fact that you definitely do not have as much money in cash value as you've paid in premium in the first several years of the policy. No. And, but, and to go on further from that point, um, not only do you not have access to all that money, but you have to realize with these contracts that it that is going to happen. It's going to happen. So you have to be able to withstand that. Some people are not in position for that to do that, you know. I mean, we've talked to people just in the last two weeks, you know, that I mean, term insurance looks like it, it would be too much of a cost for them to bear because they don't have cash mm-hmm. on hand. Um, those are things that you have to be aware of and knowledgeable of. But it's something that if you understand it and you can withstand that, you know, initial time where you don't have as much cash up front, it makes sense to do. And on top of that, in the way that we design these infinite banking policies, we are typically minimizing that lost upfront liquidity as much as we possibly can. Yeah. Not every time, but typically just about. And if that's your focus, I mean, some people like us, we need as much capital as possible up front. So that's why it makes more sense to do that for that, for that client anyways, that type of client. Absolutely. And it's just, you know, it's something that you, you definitely need to understand, but realize that you're, you're insuring yourself. You know, there's a big liability. I mean, maybe you have 75% liquidity, but 
you may have a multi-million dollar life insurance policy in force as well. Mm -hmm. And in, let's say, somewhere between six and, you know, 10 years, you're going to have as much cash value as you paid into that policy in premiums. And let's not take take for granted that you had access to that money, even though you didn't have as much cash value as you've paid in premium, you still had access to all that Mm -hmm. throughout those years. It wasn't like you had to wait until you were cash on cash or break even or whatever until you could borrow from that policy. You also don't know when you're going to pass. What if you get the contract, the whole life, or what if you get the insurance policy in force and then you die within that first year? I mean, you're going to 50X plus. Oh, yeah. Many times that probably even. So we don't know when things are going to happen. So, and if you, if you don't get started, I mean, you're never going to, I don't know what the right way to say it is, but if you don't get started, you're always just going to be hung up on that and like, well, I'll never get past that. Well, I mean, three years from now, if you had started and you're still looking at this, you'd be that much closer to getting past it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, believe me, it, it wasn't like, like an easy pill for me to swallow either that I'm not, you know, having as much money in cash value as I paid in premium right away. But I mean, that's just something that you have to stomach and get over and look at the long game. Yeah. Look at the 10 year outlook. I mean, what about just leaving that money parked in the savings account? That That's not going to grow either. And you have no death benefit protection. You're not starting anything. Like you're not, you're not using, you know, the law of compounding in your favor at all there. You're facing headwinds of taxation. Yeah. On an account that grows very minimally. Mm-hmm. And just, it gives the bank liquidity, but it gives you liquidity as well, but not much else besides that. Yeah. And, and for those people that say, well, I can put it in the market. Absolutely. You definitely can. But is that the place where you want to store your capital for opportunities that come around? Mm -hmm. Like for us, like we were talking about just, you know, buying things as simple as fuel or hedging against fertilizer costs. Like for me, I, there is no way that I'm going to store warehouse money in the market to hedge against things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it just doesn't make very much sense. And there's just, I mean, you can definitely make a higher rate of return in the market, but to enable to earn that rate of return, it has to be there. So you can't expand your business or something else like you can with IBC. You can earn that rate of return in the policy while also the and assets. Yes. That is that is the biggest thing about these things. They are the and asset. There's not that lost opportunity cost. I think that is the biggest draw for me is the fact that I can have this policy and I can still do whatever else I was going to. Granted, I am a little bit lower in cash value than I was in premiums in the beginning. But you guys, you got to look at the long game. I mean, yeah. what about 7, 10, 20, 30 years out when you have far more um, in cash value than you paid in premium? Definitely. So I guess kind of the last thing he asked in here is, you know, where can I learn more about this? Where are legit sources to learn from? And if you're interested in IBC, you have to start with becoming your own banker. That is the, that is the place to start. And we did a book review that goes along with every uh, chapter in that. So as things can be confusing, especially the first time you read it, I mean, you can listen to us break down every chapter 
and we we titled those podcasts very clearly so it's easy to see yes you know what which podcast goes with which um mm-hmm. chapter and don't feel like you need to listen to all of them if uh if you don't you know if you don't have any questions about a section you don't need to listen to that one but when you do have questions just flip that podcast on listen to that one mm-hmm. um aside from that the next one building your warehouse of wealth i mean that that book, like Nelson starts to really get into like the real thought behind infinite banking. Like it wasn't the policy itself. It was what he could do with the policies. Absolutely. And he gives some examples about that mm-hmm. in the book. And and that is that is very, very um key in your understanding. I would also say the seminar that Nelson does. It's not cheap. But I mean, if if this is something you really are interested in tackling, I personally didn't watch it before I bought my policy. But after watching it, I mean, it is it's awesome the information in it. Same here. There's just something about how Nelson is delivering that message, and mm-hmm. I mean, you can just really start to see like how he envisioned IBC. Sure, it wasn't about the life insurance that we every one of us gets hung up on. You and me both did, Kyle. I mean. Yep. We compared illustrations with each other. Oh, we yeah. won't lie to you guys. Yep. Um, but I mean, eventually you just start to see that is not the end game. No, definitely not. It's it's kind of like icing on the cake to me now. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's a good way of looking at it. So, um, Also, the Nelson Nash Institute just released, there's 10 or 15 videos, the IBC Foundation's videos. You can watch the first four for free, but then there's a paywall for the rest. You guys reach out to us and you're interested in watching those. We can give you a discount code where you can watch those for free. I mean, it's a great resource, especially if you like watching videos. Yeah, everybody likes to learn differently. So mm-hmm. there. So we just gave off some book uh, sources, some video sources. Um, and then, you know, for just audio, there's a ton of podcasts. Um, there's ours. Um, the Fifth Edition is another podcast that's pretty good talks about infinite banking um and th- there's just a lot of them out there so i mm-hmm. mean check those out there's farm without the bank there's yeah so banking with life yep so lots of resources lots of good podcasts out there about it so three different forms of of being able to learn that way absolutely okay and uh another reading form we do have blogs on our website um we don't talk about them a whole lot, but they're there. There's quite and, a few. You know, they they typically are very pinpoint on a specific subject, so um, you can find some information in those things too. Definitely. So, okay, I think that we've done our best to answer his question. Yeah, so hope you guys enjoyed this podcast, and we'll see you next week. See ya. This was the Cash Value Solutions Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Check us out at cashvaluesolutions.com. And don't forget to tune in next week.